Welcome to the Cool Cats Corner, a place where basketball fans can come and chill. We've got insight, analysis and opinion from the NBL, where there's no shortage of a thrill. Here in the corner, it's covered in red, the cat's the team on which our eyes are set. And it's time, time for the big dance, so let's hope that those wildcats can seize their chance. 20 episodes down, many more to come. But this pod, is the most anticipated one. But now, let's get down to business, talking NBL Finals action for me and for you. This is the Cool Cats Corner. And this is the NBL Finals Preview. Hello Wildcats! We're the Wildcats. We're the Wildcats. Let's go, Cool Cats. We're rolling into this thing. We are on grand final pod, and it's a huge one coming at you. So just to let you guys in on a bit of what we've got coming up on the pod, we have a review of our series against the Cairns Taipans, a series in which was a really, really tough series to get through, but really great for the spectators to watch. We're going to review the other series on the other side of the table with the Sydney Kings and Melbourne United going head-to-head. And that that there was a crazy, crazy series with some big swings in momentum and big changes in games. But we're going to run through all of that in this pod. And I might also touch on a little segment I got, I've got I've prepared for you guys, which I'm pretty excited for, which is a top 15 players under 25 in the NBL. So actually, I might hold on to that one just for a pod in the offseason. Um, yeah, we'll do that. But finally, what I have for you guys is I'm going to preview our upcoming grand final championship series against the Sydney Kings, and it's going to be huge. So firstly, before we actually crack into any of that, I want to say a massive thank you to the Sting King, Thomas Robertson, the host of the Unfiltered podcast, who's been putting together that sting you heard just then, that intro. He put that together, which was awesome. Turn that around real quick. And he's also got a few more coming up for you guys in this pod. So Cool Cats Corner, we've been blessed with his stings in this one. So thanks very much, Stinking. And we're going to crack into the pod right now. So let's get this thing underway. And... As stated, we're going to start this one out with the Perth Wildcats taking on the Cairns Taipans in the semi-final matchup. It was a Friday. I remember people rolling in from work from the city and it was literally my vision of what the marketing campaign should be for the Wildcats team, which is just like a bird's eye view of Perth City and then just seeing everyone kind of flow towards the jungle. All those red jerseys kind of congregating in that one spot. I think it'd be awesome to to see, but that's just a little thought out there for them. But anyway, it was a rocking Friday. I, uh, I rocked up there with Grace, who's who's been on the pod before. You've heard her little bits and pieces. And I got my first live look at the Cairns Taipans this year as I positioned up behind the hoop ready for game one. So a couple of small things that I noticed. So Cam Oliver has this crazy big instep. Like those kids back in high school, you remember, who just had that massive pigeon toe walk. And look, that pigeon toe walk is one of the NBL's best kept secrets because I've watched all of their games this year and I did not notice until I saw it in person. So well done on burying that one. Anyway, Perth was rocking and there is no better place in the country which matches the energy and intensity like the Red Army in the jungle when it's rocking. So cans were really interesting with how they started. They they delayed their entrance onto the court itself, kind of frustrating the crowd a little bit, trying to toy with the Red Army, which was real fun. So that was a really good preface to the game. And then we were not disappointed from there. So cans started doubling cotton really early and often. Cans were getting whatever they wanted inside as well. And we weren't there and we had no one to cover them. 
In addition to this, as soon as we made any rotations to get Clint Steindl out there, they would just straight up attack him with both Noy and DJ trying to switch onto him and trying to attack him from the top of the key. Clint started answering the call with his defense, especially in the third quarter when he handled big Nate Jawai in the low block and then he took DJ Newble on a drive. So it was great work by Clint Lint Chocolate Steindl answering the call defensively when it came to it. So, so fantastic job there. And that did help set the tone for the rest of the series. There was also this sequence in the third quarter, which I want to bring to your guys' attention. And this was a key moment in the game and it occurred when, when Perth was struggling. And I just, I made this little note when I was actually rewatching the game on the Saturday. I was just too hyped the Friday night. I couldn't rewatch it that night. I had to kind of rewind it back and sit down on the Saturday morning. I took some notes, but I did note this down. So our lineup on the court was Bryce Cotton, Clint Steindl, Tariko White, Jesse Wagstaff, and Nick Kay. And that was against the lineup of DJ Newbill, Jared Kenny, Mirko Jarek, Cam Oliver, and Nate Jawai. So, that's a fairly undersized Cats team going against this this Cairns 5 here. And that meant that Kay had to match up on Jawai. So Perth obviously giving up a lot of height with this set. But the sequence that followed did say a lot. And the sequence that followed was this. It was a Jesse Wagstaff 3, Nate Jawai 2, Cotton 3, Jawai 2 again, Kenny 2 for the Taipans, Wagstaff 3, and then Steinl 3. So in that little sequence where we went small ball, the Cats outscored the Taipans 12-6 to 6 during this time. Showing how versatile the Cats are and just what we do when we do go small. But before we go any further, actually, and, and progress with this game one, I want to say I absolutely love being a part of the Bryce Cotton MVP chance after the big four-point play on Jared Kenny with a minute left in the first quarter. That was awesome. That was electric and it was awesome to be a part of. And now looking at some of the analytics, and there's two great stats that I really want to look at from this game, and they are second chance points plus points from turnovers. And what I've done for you guys is I've combined these two stats and I've turned it into the Cool Cats Corners startle stat. And the Cool Cats Corner is named at the startle stat as when everyone's looking at the box scores and at the field goal percentages and trying to understand the outcome of the game, the startle stat surprises analysts alike. And I'll go through an example just to demonstrate this for you. For example, in this game, Cairns, when you look at these two things, so second chance points and points from turnovers, Cairns had 11 second chance points and three points from turnovers. That's 14 on the startle stat. Whereas Perth had 19 points from second chance points and 11 points from turnovers. So that's 30. So that's giving Perth a plus 16 advantage. Even though we shot 18% worse from the field and 9% worse from three, we actually had 16 more shots than Cairns, which resulted in 16 more points and us taking the win. So that little startle stat, which was second chance points and points from turnovers, actually resulted in us getting the win, even though we had a terrible, terrible night shooting the ball offensively. Therefore, when you're looking at the artificial box score, you'd assume that Cairns won this game, but you'd be wrong. And you'd be surprised to know that the Cats, due to their hustle and chemistry, were able to create additional opportunities to score and keep themselves in the ball game. From this game as well, I've picked out three best players from Perth and Cairns. And the three best players from Perth were, I think, Nick Kay. He had this clutch three to send the game to overtime, the first overtime in God knows how long. They're very rare in NBL finals, but it was awesome. Nick Kay was a star in this one, which just set the tone for the rest of the series. Bryce Cotton, obviously, 42 points on a record 10 three-pointers in this playoff game, 10 of 18 from the field. Mitch Norton, who I thought was fantastic, 12 points and some really good on-ball defense. Uh, he went one from one from three. He went three from three from the free throw line. So he's doing all you can really ask Mitch Norton to do, and he does what's required. So he had great on-ball defense as well late in the game, late in regulation on Machado to actually close out Cairns and ensure the game went to overtime. For Cairns, I thought their best three were Cam Oliver, obviously. 19 points on 70% shooting, 17 rebounds, one block in almost 40 minutes, including overtime. Scott Machado, 31 points, best of his season on 62% shooting from three, five of eight. Awesome. Seven boards, nine assists in 39 minutes. Crazy good stuff. DJ Newbill as well. So their big three were my three best players of the game. 
25 points on 75% shooting in 41 minutes and trying to lock down Bryce, which obviously he didn't do. Bryce got off the chain with 42, but you'll hear from me the rest of the series that DJ does a really good job on Bryce after this. Also have a couple of players who went missing for each team in this game. So for Perth, we had Miles Plumley. He was benched in the third and didn't see the court again. So that was only 18 minutes, seven points, four boards. Obviously, Tariko White in this one was a bit lackadaisical. Nine points on 33% shooting in 34 minutes. And Clint Steinle only had five points on 28% shooting. So that was one from five from three, 20% in 19 minutes, which isn't great. For Cairns, it was their other two other two players who really should have got going for them, which was Majok Deng and Kuat Noi. So Majok Deng, three points, one rebound, not really good enough. And Kuat Noi, five points, two rebounds. So you've got to get more from those types of guys if you're going to win the game. So three key points from game one, guys. So we won the startle stat, plus 16 for the Cats to help us get the W. We learned that Scott Machado can outplay Trevor Gleason's coaching. And that says a lot about Scott Machado, trust me, because I really, really rate Trevor Gleason's coaching. I know that Trevor Gleason has the edge over Mike Kelly in regards to the coaching game, especially when it comes to playoffs. But I think Scott Machado was the difference maker. This series, he actually showed that Scott Machado, it was more of a Scott Machado reacting to Trevor Gleason's sets, which I thought was really interesting. And the third one was that Perth went small in the third quarter with Jesse and Nick, which had a pretty a pretty decent impact, but it also led to a plus 22 points in the paint for Cairns, which is just a really overwhelming statistic to look at because 22 points in the paint plus for you is crazy. It just shows your dominance inside, but it showed that Cairns weren't afraid of anyone inside for the Wildcats. So look, we'll roll on to game two and game two was over in Cairns. There was an attendance of 5,188 people that rocked up to this one. And this was on the Sunday. So we won't go into too much depth for the rest of the games, guys. I really went to a fair bit of depth in that first one because it was a modern classic. Being there was awesome. The energy was incredible. The Red Army was phenomenal. Couldn't ask for anything more from a playoff game. It kicked off the playoffs in the absolute best way and it forced Sydney and Melbourne to play a better brand of basketball, I'm going to say. So that's why I wanted to talk about that first game. Game two, I had some points to take away as well. So in this game, we took an L, 85 to 74 over in Cairns. So some notes from the game. Cairns scored 46 points in the paint in game one. They followed it up with 48 points in the paint in game two. So we had to stop this. We didn't. You heard me talking about our small ball lineup and how it was working pretty well. So something that happened in game two was Cam Oliver became the small ball lineup antidote for Cairns and he finished with 22 points and 19 boards. The Wildcats had four more shots than the Taipans. We made four more threes, yet we still lost by double digits. And that made me really nervous going into game three. The next thing I noticed was that Perth started really well with Miles Plumley and Tariko White looking really active early. Miles had 8.6 boards in 18 minutes in the end with a negative 16 plus minus. I'm not massive on the plus minus stat, but look, I think it's to be mentioned here because it was the second worst on the team itself. Tariko didn't really get going himself either, which was, it was tough to watch. I think, yeah, Tariko had 13 points in the end in game two. And then we look at the startle stat. So that was those points from turnovers and second chance points. So 24 to Cairns and 17 to Perth. So that's plus seven to Cairns for the startle stat. So when you win the startle stat and you shoot the ball better from the field, as the Cairns Taipans did, you generally win the ball game. They did. They tied it up 1-1 and we had a game three back in Perth. So game three marked an absolute showdown in Perth. Cairns Taipans look to extend their fairy tale season for another series. Whereas the Perth Wildcats look for a chance to defend their NBL 19 crown. So 10,215 people rocked up to attend this match and the Red Army came out in force again, even though it was a Thursday night, which is Palmy night at the Scotto. Shout out Scotto, but look, people got down and it was awesome. 10,215, great job guys. And early on, the gameplay matched the intensity of the crowd and things were looking out for Perth early as Miles Plumley and Tariko White both looked to work over the Snakes defense. Tariko stretching the defense with two early three balls. Miles looking to attack the rim, which allowed for maximum spacing on the floor for the Cats. The Cats finishing the first quarter ahead by one point, 25-24. 
The Cats then went on to extend the lead in the second quarter, finishing the half eight points up, sitting in a very pretty position. The Cats getting valuable minutes from Jesse Wagstaff when they went small ball lineup with Cotton, Martin, Tariko, Wagstaff, K. K and Tariko helping power the Cats through this quarter, but four straight threes from Mirko Jurek kept the Snakes in this contest. The Cats won the final two quarters though, 24-22 and 17-16, ultimately ending up with an 11-point win to bury the Taipans. The Taipans themselves were incredible this year, and they have a lot to look forward to. They should re-sign those three imports right now, like immediately, before they have any chance to leave the country, as they should at least have the option to come back before they even left. That's all i got to say about that. So I got a little bit of news in from a friend who was travelling over to Sydney, that the morning after the game, Scott Machado and naughty boy Mirko Jurek were kicked off the flight for being a little bit too intoxicated. I think the Cairns Taipans had a big night to finish their season. So, look, a bit of breaking news there for you cool cats. But cracking onto the game, look, just the summary of this game three, guys. While DJ Newbel was able to keep MVP Bryce Cotton to just five points, the Cairns Taipans couldn't stop Nick K. St. Nicholas K was large all throughout the ball game and finished with 24 points on 64% shooting, 12 rebounds, 4 assists and 2 steals. Clint coming up big in the clutch to finish with 11 points on a very efficient 80% shooting, 3 of 4 from beyond the arc. But it wasn't all smooth sailing as the box score appears. Perth led by 18 points midway through the third term, but Space Cam Oliver led a Cairns Taipans revival that saw them get back within 5 points just with 2 minutes left to play. Bryce Cotton was pulling every trick in the book to try and shake DJ, BC going so deep into his bag that he was searching for chips in there. Seriously, in my honest opinion, I love, I love Bryce so much. DJ getting this match up when the series was all said and done. After Bryce lit him up for 42 points, I think that the, the defensive player of the year locked down the league MVP after that game one big outing. And it really gave the Taipans a huge, huge chance in this matchup. But luckily for the Wildcats, Tariko White woke up. He was a bit inefficient. However, he knocked down the shots when he needed to and he wasn't afraid of the big moment, as we knew he wasn't. Terrific Tariko finishing the night with 26 points, and interesting to note that 12 of the Wildcats' 17 points in the fourth quarter were actually made by Tariko White, and this helped push the Cats through to this grand final series with the Kings. As I said, Cam Oliver was coming late. Tariko held him off, and we have him to thank for at least that part of our grand final berth, guys. So as I've just mentioned, guys, the Wildcats go into their fourth grand final series in five seasons, and we'll be looking for our fourth title in that time. To wrap this up, I just want to say again, one massive thank you to the Cairns Taipans. That was an awesome series of basketball. One series I'm going to watch again and again for sure. The matchups all around the court were unreal. Scott Machado, Bryce Cotton, DJ Newbill, Nick Kay, Cam Oliver. Oh, who else? Tariko White, late game antics. Everything was there. So everything you wanted in a playoff series, guys, we got it straight off the cuff. And we're going to look at this other game, which was the Sydney and Melbourne series, because I don't think a lot of you guys would have caught those ones. But I'll let you guys know what we're up against next. Friend, I try it out. Ain't no worries finding out. The details is ironed out. Easily they plays along. Hoping that I play a song. Love the fuck the trap music. Dope money just came along. Alright guys, hope you enjoyed that little bit of Kid Cudi for your airwaves, just to build you guys into some Melbourne-Sydney series playoff action. And what we're going to do is we're going to review this battle of the two other heavyweights in the NBL, that being the Sydney Kings and Melbourne United. 
Interesting to note in this as well, guys, before we crack into it, that Melbourne crawled their way into the playoffs after beating a rested, oh, not even rested, a resting Cairns Taipans team, 99-83, and then beating a lowly Southeast Melbourne Mitch Creekless team, 90-109. to So they made the playoffs. They were actually touted to miss the playoffs by Corey Homicide-Williams. So another good take. Good work, Corey. United had nothing to lose entering game one and against the top of the table Kings, who were the first team in NBL history to lead from round one to round 20. They had something to prove. The Kings were being heavily favoured in this matchup, expected to sweep the series 2-0 by the experts. All eyes were on Andrew Bogut and Casper Ware, the two NBL second teamers, were needing to prove their spots in the all-NBL side and carry their team to a big game one win. Not only this, but Ware had terrorised United all season, dropping an average of 29 points on him over their matchups in NBL 20. And Casper Ware himself averages about 18 this season, so as you can see there, really turns it on for Melbourne. So game one was in front of their 13,000 fans, which is a huge turnout and great for the league. And things were looking terrible early for the Kings, with them not finding a lead until momentarily in the second quarter. But once they secured the lead, they lost it, and quickly. United pushing it out to a 16-point deficit with just over six minutes left in the ballgame. So let's put this into context, guys. They're 16 points down with six minutes left. That's Sydney Kings. So what do you need to do, Melbourne? You need to run out the clock with your stars. Well, that's what Dean Vickerman should have done. With six minutes left, he took out their interior monster, Sean Long, and with four minutes remaining in the game, it was Mello Trimble's turn to take the bench. Mello, who finished the night with 34 points and was running Melbourne's offense, was dragged, and this resulted in a run of confidence for the Kings. To give you guys an understanding, Dean subbed out Smith Milner, a good defensive player, Stanton Kidd, a good defensive player, Sean Long, good defensively, for Chris Golding, poor defensively, David Barlow, too slow defensively, and Joe Akil, who was just another step down defensively. Like, not a bad defensive player, but which was a step down in my opinion. So, so am I surprised that we saw a run by Sydney? Not at all. Led by Deshaun Tate's 23 points on 53% shooting, Xavier Cook's 13 points and 9 boards, and Brad Newley's 17 on 50% shooting, the Kings were able to claw themselves back into the game. And you'll notice something from those names, or you'll notice a lack of something. Bogut and Ware. That's right, the two dudes who I thought were undeserving of all NBL team accolades. Accumulatively, they had 10 points. 10 points at home in semi-final one against crosstown rivals. And they had 10 points on a very ineffective 25% shooting. Yo, maybe we awarded the accolades to the wrong dudes on this team. But like maybe Will Weaver's coaching, which has resulted in them being the first team to lead from round one to round 20 in NBL history. That might be a reason that they're number one. Not so much these two dudes who have kind of been there or thereabouts this season. But look, maybe he's deserving a coach of the year. But that's just another thought. Anyway, as I tweeted out Saturday, it was a Melbourne meltdown and Sydney took game one at home, 86 to 80. Also interesting to note that Mello Trimble was looking real down post-game. And in his post-game interview, it was evident that he was hurt by the loss. And it gave me some worries for Melbourne heading into game two, if I'm being honest. And now touching on game two itself. And I shouldn't have been worried about Melbourne United at all. They won the ball game by 45 points, 125 to 80. And this occurred due to a really poor finish to the first half and a start to the second half for Sydney. Sydney lost the second quarter, 32 points to 7, and then followed up that woeful defensive quarter by allowing Melbourne to outscore them 45 to 24. But what was most well documented about this game was the 38-point run by Melbourne United over the best team in the NBL. Xavier Cooks' words, not mine. Okay, so look, let's do this. Let's have a look at this 38-point run. So Lazada, Didi Lazada, hits a three-pointer with four minutes, 19 seconds left in the second quarter to bring the scores to 38 Melbourne, 31 Sydney. From four minutes, 19 left in the second quarter until six minutes, 11 seconds left in the third quarter, Sydney don't record a bucket. That's eight minutes and eight seconds without a score. That's awful. 
In the meantime, Melbourne went on to score 38 points in a row. That's incredible. And I had non-NBL fans messaging me after seeing the news in a state of disbelief, being like, yo, what's up with this? So how did this 38-point run happen? I'll let you guys all know. So let's look at the Sydney's possessions in order and be prepared. It gets rough. So this is 20 offensive plays right here for Sydney. Cook's three-point miss. Newly three-point miss. Newly two-point miss. Tate two-point layup miss. Cook's two-point putback missed. Cook's turnover. Bogut turnover. Bruce turnover. Bruce turnover. Bruce three points missed. Bruce three points missed. Jeez, that was a rough run for Bruce. Bogut turnover. Tate two-point missed. Bogut two-point putback miss. Lish three-point miss. Cook's two-point miss. Newly three-point miss. Ware three-point miss. Bruce three-point miss. And finally, Cook's hits a dunk to end this horror show of a run. All right, so now that you've heard how bad the run was, when a game like this happens, we have to find something pretty comical in the stats to come up with for both teams. So let's look at the plus minuses for a laugh, and it's going to end up in some guys looking like superheroes and others looking like villains. So let's check it out. It's always good to do. So the three best plus minuses for Melbourne were Mitch McCarron with plus 53, Stanton Kidd plus 46, and Chris Golding plus 41. So those guys were effective as all hell. The three worst for Sydney... Casper Ware, negative 27, Sean Bruce, negative 38, and Brad Newley, negative 42. So look, not great, but enough fun. And the series is tied up at 1-1 after game two. And this had me really curious as how game three was going to play out. Melbourne should have really stolen the series by this point, by this Dean Vickerman brain fart, hey, but onto game three. So game three had me asking a couple of questions. They were, how is Sydney going to respond to a 45-point pumping and how are the tabletop is going to stop Melo Trimble and Sean Long once again? And at the start of the game, I still tip Sydney. They were top of the table for a reason. They're a nice team. And they have a calm head on the shoulders of their leader, Will Weaver. When questioned about the 45-point loss, Weaver responded by saying that he wasn't worried and he's been involved in 45-point blowouts before. And coming to Paul Smith, the king owner's you know, ability to make himself heard, he replied, oh, I haven't. That's why Paul Smith isn't coaching on the sideline. It's a guy like Will Weaver that made this team feel like anyone can overcome anything and they're the tabletoppers for a reason. But it was tip-off and both teams came out aggressive with the opening quarter ending 24 points to 22, Sydney with a small lead. Most players actually getting it going in the first. And from the outset, you can see this was going to be a close one. And as a side note here, guys, I was a little bit concerned this was going to OT and this was due to the NBL deciding to have games back-to-back. OT in Sydney would lead to delays in Perth and I didn't want anything unusual for our game, just a bit superstitious like that, had to keep it all above above board, you know how it is. But look, but back to it. And the second quarter saw Melbourne take a stranglehold on the game, winning the quarter by seven points and giving themselves a five-point buffer going into the break away from home. This was strongly helped by Chris Golding's four straight three-point makes in this quarter, Sydney failing to locate him time and time again from behind the arc. As the third quarter started, you could sense the nervousness in Kudos Bank Arena. It felt like Melbourne were going to stick the dagger into the King's heart until Casper Ware finally made a shot. The dude has been dead in the water this entire series until seven minutes left in the third, he hit a shot, which was then answered by the man who had locked him up the entire series, Shaili. After this, Casper did exactly what he needed to do, and that was drop another three and show his team that he's out there fighting through this matchup. This spurred the Kings on as they won the quarter by five points and left the teams heading into the final break tied at 68 apiece. So one of these powerhouse teams were about to play their last quarter of basketball for NBL 20 and the nerves were evident. Casper, Lazada and Tate providing some much needed scoring to keep the scoreboard ticking over and mounting the pressure on Melbourne. With two minutes left in the contest, ex-Wildcat Rusty Lish hit a huge three which put Sydney ahead 87-85. Tate makes a two-pointer. Xavier Cook stripped Melo of the ball and the rest was history. The Kings advancing through to the grand final for the first time in 12 years. 
Sydney had five players scoring double digits to help the team get over the line. This team does have bona fide studs. They got their 1A guys like Deshaun Tate, who had 20 on the night, and Casper Ware, 15 points. But it helps when they get the 1B guys going, like Xavier Cooks, Brad Newley, and Didi Lozada. This helps them win ball games, and it gives them the durability to sustain success. But that's the recap of the Melbourne United and Sydney Kings series that took place on the other side of the draw. And now that we've looked at the history and how both teams have gotten to the big dance, let's see who holds the upper hand. So what we're going to do now is we're going to preview the grand final series between the Sydney Kings and the Perth Wildcats coming up right now. Two teams, one trophy, all the buzz and hype from Perth to Sydney. The Cats or the Kings, who will win it all? Let's look at the two teams set to ball. First, there's the Kings, Sydney their home. No one would ever think of betting against them, a team who never walk alone. There's Andrew Volgut, a center who doesn't let anyone get in his way. There's Didi, you can catch him driving past defenders on game day. There's Casper, there's Xavier, there's Kevin, talent and depth worthy of the ring. The tabletoppers are coming for blood, and they are the Sydney Kings. Now, let's look at the Cats, the boys from the West. With fans so passionate, no wonder their team are one of the best. There's Bryce, a man so lethal he's the only two-time MVP. Tariko's there too, providing the perfect assists and speed. Miles Plumley, Nick Kay, Clint Stein, and Reese Vague. No matter the Wildcat, you'll remember their name. So let's look at the series, who will stand tall. Get excited pool cats, it's time for grand final basketball. Oof, Sting coming in with the goods again, how's that? So guys, what we got is we got this grand final championship series preview. And what we need to know. So this is a best of five game series, which means that we are guaranteed three more games of basketball of NBL. So happy days. So at least three more games of Wildcats basketball. So that's that's good for this year. Next, the first game is Sunday, the 8th of March in Sydney at 2 p.m. Australian Western Standard Times. Game two in Perth, Friday, the 13th, 6.30. Game three back in Sydney, 15th of March at 2 p.m. again. And if the Cats haven't won the series already, three games to nothing by then then we'll have game four back at the jungle on friday the 20th and if the series is tied 2-2 and we require a game five to decide the champion we'll be back in sydney at kudos bank arena for game five on the 22nd of march but don't worry too much about that at the moment as i'll let you guys know if you're uh, following along on instagram at cool cats corner so that's cool cats corner it's exactly how the uh, podcast is named uh, we have 50 followers now on the instagram so we'll raise the bat no helmet off just yet so we will do that when we get there, but you can catch me on Twitter as well at, at ChockySugo, so, so at C-H-O-C-Y-S-U-G-O. We got those games coming up. Another thing you guys need to know about this matchup is these two teams finished one and two, and I like when that happens in matchups in the finals. These two teams battled hard over the entire NBL 20 season, and had Melbourne made it to the big dance, for example, I would have had some things to say because they are woeful this season, and I'm looking forward to seeing the best two teams for a potential five-game series, so we've all got that to look forward to. So let's do a bit of a Cool Cats Corner analysis of this matchup, just like we did with the Cairns Taipans matchup in the semi-final series. So let's break this analysis down into three arguments. So we have the series argument, we have the matchup argument, and then we have the battle of the benches. So let's look at the series argument first. Sydney finished top and will hold home court advantage throughout these playoffs. 
This is very fortunate for Sydney as well, as to win the championship, they need to take care of business at home and it's theirs to take. However, if Sydney do drop a game at Kudos Bank Arena, they will need to do something that they haven't done all year, and that's beat the Wildcats in the jungle to win the crown. The Wildcats and the Kings have played four times this year. The Wildcats dropping the first game over in Sydney thanks to eight three-pointers and a breakout game from the next star player Didi Lozada. Since then, the Wildcats have held the upper hand, winning all of the next three games against the Kings, one in Sydney and two at home. The smallest margin of victory over the four games this series? 10 points in our very last matchup. Before that, the Wildcats had won by 13 points in Sydney and 19 points at home. A day when Sydney completely imploded, much like they did in Game 2 against Melbourne United, so we do know that Sydney are susceptible to blowout losses. So if we can steal a game, the ball is in our court and we just need to finish the job off. Scores state that the Wildcats win this series argument three games to one. And what rings even better for the Cats is that Sydney haven't taken a W to us since the 10th of November 2019. Perth getting all in their mentals before this tip has even occurred. Alright, next, let's rock onto the positional argument. And with the positional argument, what I want to do is I want to run through each of the five positions on the court and look at Sydney's and Perth's best option in each of those spots and to see who holds the upper hand based on likely matchups and we'll see how it pans out. Firstly, we have the point guard position, which was Casper Ware and Damian Martin I'm going to roll with. So on first look, this is a battle of the high-powered offense via the high-powered defense. Casper Ware is a three-time NBL first team. Damian Martin is a six-time defensive player of the year. Casper Ware shoots around nine to ten three-point attempts per game. Damon Martin doesn't even give you the space to catch the ball. A big reason Sydney have been in blowout losses a few times this season is Casper's inability to make shots in NBL 20. Casper has struggled from beyond the arc this season, shooting an NBL career worst 29.2% from beyond the arc. The misses are killing his team's ability to put on scoring runs and it's hurting the momentum for the Kings. That being said, Damon Martin has been one of the worst players from beyond the arc offensively this year. But his shooting ability isn't really why Damon Martin gets his minutes. Damo is still an incredible on-ball defender. The Wildcats' captain is a must-play in this one, especially considering the job that Melbourne's Shea Illy was able to pull on Casper Ware in that series alone. Shea keeping Casper to 10.6 points per game on 30% shooting over the three-game series. So we've got to watch the film on Shea Illy there and see how he locked him down. And I don't want to take anything away from Shea here. Defensively, he's outstanding, and now he has the resume to show it. But Damo Martin's defense is even better. And I think he may be too much for Casper to handle in this one. That being said, Casper Ware was an all-NBL second team player this year, and even though it was contentious that he was named, you've got to pay props, and I have to give him the upper hand in this contest. So that's the point guard position to the Sydney Kings, one point there. The next position we're going to look at is Rusty Kevin Lish and Bryce Cotton. So Bryce Cotton's points per game against the Sydney Kings this season is 33 per game. Huge. Bryce Cotton against the rest of the NBL is 20.6. So that was Liam Santamaria that put that little stat together, so shout out Liam Santamaria. And let's just say that Bryce Cotton likes playing the Sydney Kings. Bryce has been a monster all year, but big bad Bryce really does come out to play against the NBL's best defense. Yeah, okay. He's dropped 36, 27, 39, and 30. Three 30 burgers served up this year by the NBL 20 MVP on the Sydney Kings. And no disrespect to Rusty Lish, but I don't think there's a case to argue really here. So that's a point to BC and a point to the Cats. So that's one apiece now. Looking at the small forward matchup. And I've gone with Brad Newley and Tariko White. And Tariko White has woken up. Look, I got a lot of respect for Brad Newley, drafted to the NBA, 35-year-old vet on a formidable Kings team. But what we saw in Game 3 from Tariko should give the Kings shivers down their spines. We have all seen that version of Tariko now, and the same version of Tariko won the finals MVP only last year. I think Brad Newley is going to struggle with this matchup as Tariko will look to stretch him early with threes and then look to lay up once he can get Brad out of position. 
Not much analysis really needed on this one. I think this is point cats pretty easy. So that's two to one. We're going to look at the, the, the most interesting matchup definitely for the series, which is the power forward matchup of Deshaun Tate and Nick Kay. And I'm so intrigued by this matchup. I've actually gone through each of Deshaun Tate's and Nick Kay's past four games against each other to analyze this a little bit more. So over the four games that these two have matched up this season, their averages are Nick Kay in 30 minutes, 17 points per game on 56% shooting, 58% from the three, 9.75 rebounds, 2.2 assists, and half a block. So that's pretty productive there. Just Sean Tate in 25 minutes, so a few less minutes, 13 points per game on 64% shooting, six rebounds per game, one assist per game, and half a block. So, so these two players were both selected into the all-NBL first team, and deservingly so. JT24 has struggled a bit against the Cats this year, and that could be due to Nick Kay demanding so much attention on the offense and defensive end. JT24 is usually too much for an opposition power forward to handle, as even though he comes in undersized, his footwork and technique allows him to slither the gaps and pick up valuable points. However, looking at these averages alone, Nick Kay holds the advantage, but I don't think it's fair to look at the stats alone. I think their final game against each other was a true preview of what we're going to see in the final series. In our final game with the Sydney Kings in round 17, JT and Nick Kay were two of the outstanding performers. JT finishing with 23 points on 76% shooting, collecting 9 boards and 3 assists. Nick Kay finishing the night with slightly less 21 points on 50% shooting, adding 10 rebounds and 4 assists to the total. So in my honest, humblest opinion, I think Nick Kay has the edge in this one. His form and his finals have been awesome so far. He's one of Australia's best ball players at the moment, and he's showing out like he is. But I don't want to disrespect first-teamers, and I know what JT has the ability to do. So out of respect, we in the corner are going to go with a push in this matchup. So let's give a point to each of them. And now onto the center position, and it's Andrew Bogut and Miles Plumley. Andrew Bogut is being that lazy this year, it's ridiculous. Miles Plumley and him will probably match up fairly well against one another and probably negate each other's impact on the matchup. Bogut looks like he has completely lost his will to play the game at the moment. Miles has struggled so far in finals time, but Sydney are a big team and we will need to play Miles at least 20 plus minutes throughout this series. There is no doubt that I think Andrew Bogut is a more knowledgeable and technical player than Miles. What I highly doubt though is his effort. It's a very tricky one to argue either way, so I'm going to leave this one as a stalemate itself. So to summarize the five... We have Sydney winning the point guard position, Perth winning the shooting guard and small forward positions, and us not being able to split the difference between the power forward and centre matchups in the front court. That to me gives Perth the advantage in this one and gives us the positional argument point, if we can call it that. Okay, on to our final category. And this category is probably one of the most important ones in this series. It's onto the bench argument, and it's the battle of the benches. And the reason I think this is one of the most important arguments to have is due to the fact that neither of these teams would be in the positions they were in this season without the help of a deep and efficient bench. Not only that, but throughout a five-game series, coaches often need to go into their bag and look for alternative matchups to try and gain an advantage over the course of the entire series. So this is something I love about longer series, like the seven-game series in the NBA. Often a longer series, bench players become key chess pieces. Like as an example, look at Jesse Wagstaff and the way he's being used in his minutes in this playoff series. They've increased purely because Perth have been forced to play small ball over longer stretches against the Taipans. So we can see what's been happening with Jesse. So his number's being called and he's answering the call and it's really cool to see. So let's look at some of the guys who are going to be important for each of these teams coming off the bench. For Sydney, I've got Didi Lazada, Xavier Cooks, who has started previously, but I think he's majority bench, Sean Bruce and Daniel Kickett. For Perth, we have Mitch Norton, who should be starting, but we'll see. Jesse Wagstaff, Majok Majok and Clint Steindl. They'll all be key pieces off the bench for the Cats. So let's look at these pieces. And for me, I think the two most influential players for each team off the bench are going to be Dita Lazada and Xavier Cooks for the Kings, as well as Jesse Wagstaff and Clint Steinle for the Cats. Look, not taking anything away from Mitch Norton, 
He's been incredible and he's been starting lately. So it's hard to classify him as a bench player in the first place. I do think they lean on Damo a little bit more as a starter on Casper on this matchup. So we'll see how that goes. But as I previously said, Didi Lazada has dropped eight threes on us already this year in a game. Xavier Cooks is the second best rebounder in the league and he's an unbelievably good defensive player. Xavier came up huge in game three with a 14.9 board game to help seal the series against Melbourne United. For the Cats though, Jesse Wagstaff is the veteran player that every single finals team requires. He's been to the playoff every single year of his career, and he's a five-time NBL champion. Let's think about that for a moment. That means that if Jesse was to miss the playoffs, he wouldn't know what to do with himself this time of year. Dude has been to the postseason every year since 2004. For Sydney, this guy is Brad Newley. However, Jesse has won 10 NBL titles. Brad Newley hasn't been in the NBL playoffs since 2006. <laughs> like I myself was like still reporting to Mr. Shackleton in homeroom at that age. Yeah, look, look, but anyway, congrats to Brad and the um, the Kings for getting there. Look, he's a decent player and the experience is going to be needed in the finals, whatever he's picked up over that long career. Look, I think for the Cats themselves, I think Clint Steiner is the X factor that blows this series wide open. Clint averages 9.2 points per game over the NBL 20 season so far, all while shooting 41% from three-point territory. However, Clint has topped double points twice this final series already. He's coming off the back of an 18 and 11 point game. In the finals, he's averaging 11.5 points per game on 42% shooting, which is up from that 9.2 at 41. And then to add on to this, against the Kings this year, he's averaged 12 points per game on 44% shooting. So we can only expect to see Clint keep growing in productivity this playoff series. The league's most deadly spot up three-point shooter can't be left open this final series. When Perth struggle for scoring, they'll often draw up a play for Clint out of a timeout and ensure that he gets an open shot. And you know what? Off the back of set plays, I reckon, Clint would probably knock down that three ball at over 50%. But that's just a base of what I've seen this year and on the eye test itself. So unfortunately, we don't have stats at that level in the NBL. Not yet anyway. But if we did, I'm sure it would show just how good he is when an ideal play is drawn up for him. So yeah, I think the X factor for each team sits on the bench. Clint Lint, Chocolate Steinle for the Cats and Xavier Cooks for the Kings. So I do have to admit that I do think the Kings have more different players to throw at us. However, I think what the Cats do have should be enough to weather any Storm Weavers men come at us with. Sydney are big, and we're going to need to lean on Jess and Clint in our small ball lineup. I believe the Kings hold the bench advantage in this contest. When we look at the bench averages from the regular season, the Kings bench has been more impressive in points per game, outscoring the Cats 30.3 points per game to 25. But that was the regular season, and this is finals time. It's all going to change. So what are my final thoughts now that we've analysed the series, the teams, and the players? I believe the Wildcats win this series three games to one. I believe the Wildcats still gain one in Sydney, defend the jungle in Game 2, drop Game 3 in Sydney, and close out the series in Game 4 in front of a wild and raucous Red Army. The Cats and Gleeson are finals veterans. Look for us to come out aggressive and try rip the heart out of the beast which is the Sydney Kings. We're going to try and rock them with our small ball lineup, and if we can catch them tripping, they'll have to play Xavier Cooks at the 5, JT at the 4, Newley at the 3, Kevin Lish at the 2, and Ware at the 1, and I'm not sure that team is good enough to handle Bryce Cotton, Tariko White, Clint Steindl, Jesse Wagstaff, and Nick Kay. I'm not sure any team is good enough to handle that matchup when they got it going. But as we wrap up, I have a few things left to say. Congratulations to the Cats for getting it done once again and taking out the league's hottest team, the Cairns Taipans. Thank you very much to everyone for listening into the Cool Cats Corner. This was episode 20 and it's been a blast bringing it to you guys. And thank you so much for tuning in time and time again. I really do enjoy it. I like talking basketball with all of you. It's so much fun. And Perth City... Listen now, we're in our 34th consecutive final series. We are underdogs in a top-of-the-table five-game series for glory. We have our Perth Wildcats going for a record-breaking 10th championship. 
It all starts this Sunday in Sydney. Wish our cats luck and get behind your team. It's a series for the ages. You best be watching. Let's go cats. That's it for another pod. Finals here we come. This final series is set to be another great one. Who'll prevail? The cats or the kings? NBL glory on the line. How intriguing. Will red rain again or will the kings rediscover their throne? Only one team can win. Where will the trophy call home? All the talking's been done. We hope you've had fun. It's finals season. Now let's head to the hardwood.